Looking to rebound from a tough loss in Santa Clara, the Seahawks will return to the friendly confines of Lumen Field, looking to move to 2-1 and one against the Falcons. What are some key matchups to watch heading into this Week 3 battle? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Wednesday installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for Matchup Wednesday, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. I'll admit, I'm a little bit under the weather. I was a game-time decision going into this episode, dealing with some upper respiratory issues, but I'm a gamer, just like many of the players in the Seahawks roster, and after testing things out, decided to give it a go, so here we are, Matchup Wednesday. We got tons of great matchups between two young teams, very similar past their traveling, rebuilding, and two teams that have been pretty competitive up to this point, albeit Seattle in week two, not necessarily, but their first game, they beat the Broncos. The Falcons were in a position to win both of their games. So really looking forward to diving into this week three battle at Lumen Field. And we're going to talk a little bit about Clint Hurt's comments about Seattle's defense, where they go from here. And so let's get to it. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks, the term coach speak, we throw it around a lot on this show and every coach in the NFL does it to a varying degree as far as what they're willing to provide reporters during press conferences. Coordinators are especially prickly when it comes to giving up too much insight, but we've said it a few times and I'm going to say it again. Clint Hurt as the new defensive coordinator for the Seahawks has been a breath of fresh air. I'm not surprised at this point that he's pretty candid in his conversations with reporters, particularly coming off a 20-point loss to the 49ers. And Clint Hurd had some pretty interesting comments today looking back at that loss to the 49ers. Looking at a quote from him today, he said, obviously the first half really poor and going through those changes, just a horror show of errors. A perfect way to put it, Clint Hurd. But we hit halftime to be able to go in and make the corrections where we needed to, identify to the guys where the issues were and where the mistakes were made, and take ownership of that. In the second half, do a lot more consistent with those things we were doing right from down to down. And so I really like the way that he carried himself in this press conference, every media session that he's had. He's been much more open to explaining things and delving into how he feels about the way his defense has played than what maybe we saw from Ken Norton Jr. And that's not slamming Norton, Rob, but certainly Clint Hurt, like I said, has been a breath of fresh air. And it was interesting hearing his assessment of the first half versus the second half because the Seahawks defense did play a lot better coming out of the half. So you do need to give him credit for making those adjustments and executing on the field. Yeah. Honesty, accountability. I mean, you can see why Clint Hurd has been kind of touted as possibly a head coach in the future, why he has, you know, risen up the, the board so quickly. Uh, you know, he is a guy that, you know, going back a couple of years when Seattle first brought him in as a defensive line coach, and I was 
able to listen to a conversation that he had with the parents of one of the Seattle's rookies and, and how he just had a conversation and kind of put his arm around the player and the family and just said, hey, I'm going to take care of your of, the, of your son. I, I'm going to help him become a, a terrific NFL player. And I just really was impressed by how personable he was. And then again, the accountability and honesty which he is demonstrating in these press conferences, I've been really impressed by him. But of course, you can say a good thing like that on a press conference, but the proof is in the pudding. You got to win some football games, and and there is no question about it that uh, you know Seattle did look like a you know basically a comedy of errors. It was a horror show uh, at times against the 49ers, but the Seahawks did play a lot better defensively in the second half against the 49ers. They've got a heck of a test here against the Atlanta Falcons, so I'm curious to see if this is just a really good speech or if this is actually going to prove true with how the Seahawks respond to Clint Hurst's demands, as well as Pete Carroll's for that matter. Yeah, we're not going to know that till we get to the actual game on Sunday, but there were other things that Clint Hurt said today. Obviously, he's aware of the issues that this football team has had on defense, and he kind of downplayed the idea that this has been related to the scheme, and he made some good points. I mean, defensive linemen, regardless of whether it's 4-3 or 3-4 defense, your job is to occupy blockers and keep your linebackers free. So nothing's really changed in that regard. Both systems have run fits that you've got to be able to execute or the other team is going to run all over you. And like you said, I don't want to get in the habit of teams running for over 100 yards against us. And the Broncos almost did it. The 49ers almost had 200 against them on Sunday. And so certainly he understands that. But I think that the comments that he made, the two that really stood out to me today, one, this is common sense. If you watch the Seahawks these first two games, Tackling has been the biggest issue, and as he pointed out, tackling can fix a lot of things if they're able to get to ball carriers and bring them down. Just for example, Daryl Taylor on Debo Samuel, that run that went for 51 yards, it would have maybe been a one-yard run if he would have got him down there. Those are huge difference-making plays that NFL defensive players, you're expecting them to be able to make. And so if you can do that, if you can limit yards after the catch, the Seahawks have had some issues with that for a couple years running make tackles when receivers get their hands on the football. And if you're able to do that consistently, you eliminate those first downs created after the catch. The 49ers had a few of those on Sunday, and they didn't even throw the ball a lot. And so certainly he understands. He's frustrated by that. The players are frustrated by it, and they know that they need to clean up their tackling. And going off of Daryl Taylor again, you mentioned the word accountability, and that's something that Clint Hurt has definitely showed in his press conferences ever since he became the defensive coordinator. And he didn't go into specifics because he keeps his discussions with players like Daryl Taylor behind closed doors. And that's fair. He doesn't need to air all the dirty laundry, but he also made it clear, hey, we expect him to play with more consistency than we've seen. There's been some really good plays, but there certainly have been some big misses. And you can say that with a number of players in this defense they have high expectations for. Taylor had just maybe been the one that has been you know, put out there the most as far as a player that has been a disappointment and hasn't played up to par. And so for him to come out and make those comments, not taking the player and throwing him under the bus, but at the same time making it clear, hey, we know he's not playing up to the level we think he can play. We're going to get this figured out. He's a talented player. He's too talented to be making the mistakes he's making right now. We're going to get all this cleaned up again. The words are great, but you got to see it on the field. And so Sunday, Hey, go out and prove yourself, Daryl Taylor. Go out and prove yourself, Jordan Brooks. Players that maybe aren't playing as well as expected, 
you get another chance on Sunday to get yourself rolling. And then maybe you can get several good games in a row going. And who knows? Maybe the Seahawks win several of those games. Oh, yeah. I think that's absolutely a possibility. That, that's exactly what the Seahawks have done in the past. I mean, you know, have to go back to, to last year, even the year before that, when Ken Norton Jr. was, of course, Seattle's defensive coordinator. And they were on a historic pace, uh, you know, the way that their defense was just giving up yardage, you know, in droves and then uh, played really good football down the stretch. Uh, you know, one of the more stout defenses in terms of points allowed rather than yards allowed uh, over the second half of last season season and I certainly expect a young team like Seattle to be able to make similar strides uh you know down the stretch this season as well there was another thing that uh, the Clint Hurt mentioned that I thought was also telling and you know th there's a lot of people who are listening to our podcast uh right now and again as, as Corbin said previously thank you so much for all of your support there's a lot of really savvy football fans out there that recognize that when you're going against a team that runs the football a lot it's going to be hard to get sacks and, and so that to me is something that i think bears repeating a little bit because the the seahawks uh were going up against the 49ers team that has these seven these eight man fronts um that it's going to be difficult to get sacks against a quarterback like trey lance who's going to run the ball a lot you have a quarterback like jimmy garoppolo who has been benched and now has his opportunity he is going to get the ball out of his hands as quick as quickly as possible, you know, and, and so I, I think that those things are all important because there are a lot of people, Corbin, who who don't watch the games. All they do is look at the at the statistics at the end and they see, oh, the Seahawks only have three sacks in two games. What the heck's going on? This is supposed to be a really fierce pass rush. And yet, where are the numbers? Well, again, you have to put it in perspective. You have to you know, give it a little bit of con context here about who you're playing. Do I expect the Falcons? to necessarily give up a great deal of sacks against Seahawks this uh, in this game? No, because the Falcons are going to try to run the football. But at the same time, if you can control the line of scrimmage, as I expect Seattle should be able to do, I think that Clint Hurt, Pete Carroll, and Seahawks fans are going to be a lot happier with the result. Yeah, and I think that it was a good point that he made that some games it's just going to be tougher to get those pass rushing numbers than yeah. others. That week one matchup with Russell Wilson, they were able to get a fair number of quarterback hits in part because he has a propensity for extending plays. Jimmy Garoppolo played most of this game on Sunday, and he is notorious for getting the ball out really quickly and sometimes to a fault. Sometimes he unloads the football too quickly without ridding the defense and throws turnovers. So it has happened in, in the past. But nonetheless, this is an opponent that they've always had trouble getting sacks against the 49ers. Don't give a lot of them just because of their offensive style, their structure. So that would be the least of the concerns coming out of this game as far as I'm concerned. The Seahawks are going to be able to get some heat on quarterbacks in some games. That is just an opponent with the way they were doing things, all the running they had, really difficult to get much of a rhythm going rushing the passer. It's matchup Wednesday. We're going to dive into key matchups when the Seahawks are on offense going up against a young Falcons defense when we return here in a moment. As you gear up for the fall, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. As a former site manager and current podcast host, I've made plenty of hires over the years, and LinkedIn has always been a go-to for me to find top candidates in sports media. 
Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job and the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so that your network can help you make the right hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on the candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to the Matchup Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks, as always, to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Let's get to the matchups now. The Seahawks obviously have been struggling on offense six quarters now without a single point. No field goals from Jason Myers. Certainly no touchdowns from Geno Smith or Rashad Penny or DK Metcalf, they have been skunked six straight quarters. So it has been a struggle. And as for the Atlanta Falcons, they've given up some points, but they've also had their moments. They held the Saints down for most of their week one game before ultimately losing the lead late. Rams scored a bunch of points early last week, and then the defense really uh, fortified itself late and allowed the offense to nearly make an unbelievable comeback on the road against the defending champions. And so this is a better defense than I think a lot of people realize. Rob, what is the first matchup going into this game that really jumps out to you from a Seahawks offensive perspective? Well, I think one of the things we have to talk about is Seattle's struggles with running the football a week ago. Uh, now, again, that was predictable. The 49ers have an incredible front. They have terrific linebackers. And, and Atlanta is pretty solid as well. Uh, I think slowing down Grady Jarrett's going to be a big part of this. Uh, and, and so to me, that is something that you have to be able to kind of solve that issue. Uh, you know, Grady Jarrett is, again, he he kind of reminds me of Puna Ford in some ways for people who haven't watched the Atlanta Falcons play much. This is kind of a an undersized, kind of classic 4-3 under defensive tackle who's being asked to play more of a 3-4 defensive end role. But because he is so slippery, then, then he is able to make make plays in that regard. And we talked about the interior of Seattle's offensive line and how much that they got punched in the mouth, frankly, uh, against the San Francisco 49ers. Atlanta is more slippery than they are powerful at the point of attack. And so I think that that's going to be a critical matchup. Obviously, if Geno Smith doesn't have time in the pocket, then it doesn't really matter what's going on. Obviously, if Seattle is not able to create a little bit more rushing lanes, then it doesn't matter how dynamic that your running backs are. So to me, while I have a great deal of respect for the edge rushing talent that Atlanta brings, especially some of the rookies, I think that we're going to be talking about here in a moment. I think that you have to stop Grady Jarrett first. And so, again, I think that's going to be you know critical for, for Seattle's, you know, the center position at the guard position to be able to slow him down, create that pocket, create those running lanes in the middle. Yeah, a lot of times when we do Matchup Wednesday, we're looking at multiple players in a position group. But Grady Jarrett, he's not Aaron Donald. But he's maybe in that class of players like, say, Eric Armstead, who isn't a perennial first-team All-Pro, but he's a darn good football player that can single-handedly destroy game plans because of that slipperiness that you talked about, the ability to penetrate gaps. I, I think he's tougher at the point of attack than most people realize. 
and he plays a more physical brand of football. This is a guy that has given the Seahawks a lot of problems ever since he came into the league. Every time they play the Falcons, he seems to have at least one sack. And so he has been a real thorn in their side. And I think he is a really solid run defender to go with that. This is not just a guy that penetrates gaps and gets a lot of sacks and quarterback hits. He's a very sound run defender. So I think this is clearly the number one matchup the Seahawks have got to find a way to at least have a draw on because that interior O-line, I've mentioned a couple times this week, really struggled against the 49ers. And I don't think Jarrett's got the supporting cast around him that Eric Armstead does with having a player like Kinlaw next to him, Kerry Hyder that can play inside. They got a couple other big bodies players. I don't think the Falcons have the depth up front that the 49ers do, but Grady Jarrett by himself can single-handedly ruin game plans. And so absolutely, this is a key matchup, not just for protecting Geno Smith, but you want to be able to run the football some in this game. And to be able to do that, you've got to be able to at least hold serve in the interior. And that's something that they didn't even get close to doing in the second game against the 49ers. That entire group needs to play better, whether Damian Lewis or Phil Haynes is playing on the left side. White's obviously going to be the center and Gabe Jackson's going to be a right guard. They need whoever's in the lineup to play much better in order for the offense as a whole to be able to get things going. I want to talk the athletes, though, for a second. I feel like we have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in our matchups every week, but, I mean, they're the two best players on Seattle's offense. So, obviously, we're going to talk about them a lot. And the Atlanta Falcons have a really good young cornerback in A.J. Terrell, who Seahawks fans may remember as a rookie, got torched a couple of times in his NFL debut. That was the first game he had ever played in, and it was against the Seahawks. DK Metcalf got him. Tyler Lockett got him in that game. He was a second-team All-Pro selection in his second season, though, so he really turned the corner after a somewhat shaky rookie year, had a fantastic second season, one of the best young corners in the game. Not the biggest corner you're going to find, but he plays bigger than his size. And so I think you could see him on Lockett or Metcalf some of this game. And they also brought in veteran Casey Hayward, who has quietly had a really good career in the league. He's made some Pro Bowls at one point, was an All-Pro selection. He's now in his mid-30s, so he's not in his prime anymore. But, Rob, he's a guy that really provides a veteran presence for an otherwise really young secondary. And he has had some success in the past going against Tyler Lockett in specific. So I think those corners, particularly Terrell going against either one of Seattle's receivers, that is one of those get your popcorn ready matchups because Terrell has truly evolved from being a rookie that struggled into one of the better young corners out there in the entire league. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and more importantly, DK Metcalf agrees with you. I thought it was interesting. Uh, Metcalf, of course, was, was interviewed today after practice. And, you know, it, it's rare that, uh, that players will signal out opponents by name um but but dk metcalf was quite complimentary saying that the falcons have a good young corner in uh in, in terrell and so uh, to me that's an interesting comment um because of course seattle as you just mentioned has had some success against terrell so uh, i think that that's an interesting one because uh metcalf and lockett are such different players obviously when you have the much bigger player in metcalf so i, I really thought that the way that seattle started the game against the 49ers it look like they wanted to feature Metcalf and for whatever reason the game got out of hand and then it was Tyler Lockett that wound up having the much more statistically impressive game so I'm curious to see if Seattle is going to basically kind of go vanilla and just allow Metcalf and Lockett to line up and and perhaps just show their size show their athletic ability and their savviness as route runners and to be able to get free uh, against these corners who I think are good 
but are not great. This should be a matchup that Seattle should be able to exploit a little bit. And I'm calling out Shane Waldron a little bit. Let's see a little bit of that creativity that you saw against the Denver Broncos. Let's see some receivers in motion. Let's see DK Metcalf inside in the slot, yeah. something we haven't seen very often. And to be able to shake free a little bit, hopefully create some big plays down the field. We mentioned the interior offensive line and you and I were talking for the show. There were a couple options as far as another matchup that stood out. You know, maybe we could look at the rookie tackles going against Arnold Abicady, another rookie from Penn State off the edge. But ultimately, I think the Seahawks have got to get their run game going. 35 rushing yards last week. That is not going to cut. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that gives Pete Carroll nightmares. 35 rushing yards. They are dead last in the NFL right now in rushing yards. And it hasn't been because of the running back talent. We have seen Rashad Penny and Ken Walker the third a week ago in his debut, they've made some impressive runs where they turned losses into four, five, six-yard gains, but the blocking has not consistently been in front of them. I think this is clearly a game, though, where those running backs, particularly the top two, Rashad Penny and Ken Walker the third, you need to feature them. This can't be a game where you give 12 combined carries to your running backs. Every time they do that, that is a recipe for disaster. I mean, you don't have Russell Wilson to throw the ball 45, 50 times a game. No offense to Geno Smith, but that's not going to be his MO either. You need to have a balanced offense, and they have not been able to come close to accomplishing that these first couple of weeks. Some of it has been the way the O-line is played. But, again, Shane Waldron, find a way to get these running backs working downhill, get some outside run plays going. I think that's a way that you can have some success against this Atlanta Falcons defense. And I even think Penny and Walker in this game is receivers. Rashawn Evans, who they signed in the offseason, former first-round pick, is a really aggressive, downhill, really solid tackling linebacker. But one of the reasons the Titans didn't keep him around after his first contract ended is because he had some up-and-down issues in coverage I feel like this is a game where Penny, Ken Walker III, maybe even sprinkle your other two backs that are third down backs in Homer and Dallas, can have some success making some plays on dump offs against the linebackers for the Falcons. Spread them out horizontally and vertically. That's where the short passing game can come in. Bring those guys up a little bit and then take your shots downfield, even though the Falcons do have some talent at the quarterback position. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because I think that you know when Pete Carroll says they're basically going to you know take the leash off of Geno Smith and allow him to throw the football, I think that a lot of times Seahawks fans are just envisioning that that means they're going to go deep just about every time. And I don't know that that's necessarily the recipe for success against Atlanta because you're right, Rashawn Evans is at his best, kind of coming downhill, being that thumper in the running game, but he is not quite as agile laterally and in coverage. Lorenzo Carter, the other outside, the outside linebacker that the Falcons brought in from the New York Giants. He is more of a pass rusher. He yep. struggles in coverage a little bit as well. So to me, this is a game where certainly you want Geno Smith to be able to throw the ball deep. But I also think that this is the game where you are going to sprinkle some plays to your running backs out in the flats, perhaps create some screens, perhaps create some opportunities for your tight ends running in the middle of the field. Anything that you can do to get those linebackers, instead of charging downhill to plug up the running game, be able to take advantage of that aggression, throw right over the top of them. And then, of course, 
run the football. That has been the MO since Pete Carroll joined the Seahawks all those years ago. And the Seahawks have so much talent at the running back position. Corbin, I'm no doctor. I obviously I wasn't with you in your doctor's appointment here, but I'm not convinced that you're not sick. I, I think that you might have just watched too much Seahawk football against the 49ers this past I, week. And that might I be- think that that is a very good call. I'm surprised that my doctor didn't mention that today. I mean, I'm like Pete Carroll. I'm a former running back and running back coach seeing 35 rushing yards and a full game is like vomit inducing. <laughs> so. Yeah. Exactly. And so that's where I think that Seattle has to do over and over again. I think even with all due respect to the Atlanta Falcons, the fact that they did battle back against the Rams, I think that Seattle can impose its will because I think that they are bigger and better at the front line. I think that their running backs are better than Atlanta's linebackers. This should be a matchup that Seattle should be able to exploit a little bit. And if they do so, then you go over the top with your receivers. Absolutely. There's certainly some matchups that the Seahawks have an opportunity to take advantage. There's, there's some really good players on the Falcons defense, though. They're going to have to try they have their own say in this matchup, too. Hey, we're an up and coming team that's had a chance to win both of our games. We want that first victory and we're not scared to play at Lumen Field. And so there are some really enticing matchups. Same can be said for when the Falcons are on offense going up against a Seahawks defense that is looking to bounce back from a rough outing in Santa Clara. We're going to switch gears to the matchups on the other side of the football coming up next here on our Matchup Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news for every league, whether it's Major League Baseball, the NFL going into week three, NBA coming soon, NHL, and much more. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports wagering information. Whether it's live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they've got you covered. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Matchup Wednesday edition. This is Corbin Smith joining me for today's show, my co-host Rob Rang. Thanks as always to the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Continuing our weekly matchup Wednesday segment, we just looked at the Seahawks on offense against the Falcons on defense. And really where you can see a lot of parallels between these two teams is what they've done on the offensive side of the football. In the case of Atlanta, Matt Ryan now in Indianapolis traded him away. And they've got a quarterback in Marcus Mariota who started his career as a high draft pick with the Titans, was supposed to be the next franchise quarterback, didn't work out, has been a backup the last couple years with the Raiders. Now he gets another chance to start, just like Geno Smith does, replacing Russell Wilson. And early on, the play on the field has been pretty impressive for Mariota. I think he's looked pretty solid out there, still has the ability to run, has shown off his throwing ability, playing really well in Arthur Smith's offense. But I think we got to start with the guy that he's been handing off to, because if you want to look at a player that's totally reinvented himself, Corderell Patterson at one point was a first round pick as a receiver, and he has historic numbers as a kick returner. That has been his calling card. But now in his 30s, Rob, he's really found his groove as one of the more underrated running backs in the league, and he's off to a really fast start leading the number seven rushing offense in the entire NFL through the first two weeks of the year. 
This is a really good football player, one of the most instinctive players I've ever seen, Corbin, with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's, you know, he's not necessarily the most savvy of route runners. He's been pretty undisciplined in that regard, and that's one of the reasons why that he bounced around from that running back or that receiver position, excuse me, where he was drafted as a first-round pick. He can make people miss. He, he can knock people on their backsides. You know, I just mentioned a moment ago that I really think that Seattle's offense has a little bit of an advantage over Atlanta's defense. Well, frankly, I think Atlanta's offense has some advantages over Seattle's defense as well. And a big part of it is Patterson. Uh, you know, th this is a really good football player, and you combine his running ability with Marcus Mariota's running ability and then Arthur Smith the head coach and what he likes to do in terms of running the football of course again he was with Mariota back in Tennessee knows him very very well I mean this is a this is an Atlanta Falcons team excuse me that likes to run the football and we've seen Seattle get you know thumped in the running game each of the last two weeks so I, I to me this is the most fascinating matchup of this game well I've Side to talk about some of the other ones. I think that the winner, and I hate to say that this simply, but I think the winner of this football game is the winner that has the most rushing yards. And obviously, considering as you mentioned, Seattle had what 35 a week ago. Well, then that was the case last week as well. Yeah, this is a matchup that concerns me just because of the way the Seahawks have been playing the run fits, how poor their tackling has been. And Patterson is not a small guy. We're talking a 220 pound running back, a tall running back used to be a receiver, and they can do a lot of different stuff with him. They can move him outside, obviously, into the slot or as an outside receiver. They can toss screens to him. There's a lot of different things he can do. But for being a guy that came into the league as a receiver, you can see the kick and punt return background with him as a running back. He runs with such physicality. This is a guy that breaks a lot more tackles than you would expect. So Jordan Brooks and Cody Barton, you better bring your hard hat. You better get downhill avoid the blocks that were getting caught on you in week two. They're going to have to play free, loose, and flow to the football, and you better bring your hard hat because Cordell Patterson is not a guy that you can just bring down lightly. You're going to have to wrap up, and you're going to have to hit him hard to bring him down. And this is a guy that is going to be a problem in the run game and the passing game. So I think this is absolutely a matchup to watch, particularly with Marcus Mariota's threat to run, mixing in read option. That just puts a lot more stress on the defense in terms of trying to play this team in their run game. That's why they're having so much success this year, that combination of the dual threat ability of Mariota and Patterson, the reawakening he's had now late in his career as one of the better running backs in the league, a guy that you can move around a lot. Another matchup that I'm really excited about, this is going to be kind of that Transformers matchup. And the Seahawks have one of the few receivers in the league that checks off that box in DK Metcalf. We've gotten to see him and Tariq Woolen go against each other in practice. But Drake London is another player that fits that prototype. Six foot five, runs 4-4 speed, can hurdle over people, as you can see on YouTube, the picture here against the Rams. A freak athlete at that size. Top 10 pick for a reason. Tariq Woolen was a fifth-round selection, but he has those athletic tools of a first-round pick, and he's starting on day one. This is clearly one of the most exciting matchups. We're looking at, and I joke about this, Rob, but you've got two young sets of birds going at each other at Lumen Field, and I don't know that there's two young birds to be more excited about going head-to-head -head in this game than Tariq Woolen having to defend Drake London. What a statement would it be for him if he goes out and has a really good game against the top 10 pick as a fifth-round selection? It would just be further affirmation that Tariq Woolen is going to vastly outplay 
his draft positioning. And it's a really good test because Drake London's got some pretty good numbers in his first two games. He's hitting the ground running and showing I am worthy of a top 10 pick. And clearly Marcus Mariota's number one target now with his receiving group. Yeah, exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth there. He has been clearly Marcus Mariota's number one target, and that's impressive for any rookie. But, you know, uh, again, when you look at Drake London, I mean, I just I remember watching him at USC and the way he just bullied people. I mean, he looked like an SEC receiver in the Pac-12, and you just yeah. don't see guys like that very often. I've been using the comparison. It's become a tired one, I'll admit, uh, but I don't know of anybody who was using it before I was with Drake London and the comparison. Comparisons to Mike Evans. He just plays above the rim. He play. He's a big receiver who actually plays big. He looks to knock defensive backs on their backside, uh, you know. And then again, he just gets up and catches the football at its highest point. And when you have a quarterback who isn't necessarily known for being elite with his accuracy, then that's one of the easiest ways to help them out is to get a receiver who's got those long arms, has the big size to be able to win those contests passes. So I, I love it from a schematic matchup because you were talking about a big physical receiver going up against a cornerback who has elite size, elite speed. But the question with him was, is he physical enough? This is a former wide receiver himself, of course, and Tariq Woolen. I've been so impressed by Woolen's physicality and his competitiveness uh, so far early on in his NFL rookie season. But at the same time, this is going to be a different type of a matchup. So one I'm really, really Really excited about because I just think that Tariq Woolen is perfectly suited to what Pete Carroll wants to do. But at the same time, so was Drake London with what Arthur Smith and the Atlanta Falcons want to do. So uh, again, we, we kind of make all these jokes about the, the Transformers. I mean, this is Optimus Prime and Megatron right in front of us. And so I, I cannot wait to see these two athletes, you know, compete because I hope I hope that this is something that we are going to see play out over a decade or more for these two franchises. And obviously, Len is not the only freak athlete that Marcus Mariota has at his disposal. We could mention Kyle Pitts on here, and that sure. was an honorable mention one for us, which is crazy because he is one of their clearly best players. And Josh Jones or whoever ends up across from him is going to have a nightmare matchup dealing with the former top five pick. But I think we have to move away from the flashy matchups here when we're really looking at what's going to win this game, sometimes the matchups that aren't the sexiest are the ones that ultimately decide who's going to win this game. But for the Seahawks, there's one defensive lineman who has played up to his capability this year. I think Puna Ford's had kind of a disappointing start. Harris has been banged up. Quentin Jefferson has been up and down. But big number 99, Al Woods, has been an absolute wrecking ball. He picked up exactly from where he was at last year. He was the best player on the field for Seattle defensively on Sunday. Three tackles for a loss, a pass breakup in the line of scrimmage. He has been borderline unblockable at times. And there's been plays that he's blown up, then his teammates have let him down when the ball's bounced outside, they've missed tackles. That is not on him. He has to be frustrated by that. But he's going against a smaller center in Drew Dahlman for the Falcons, who has been really good in pass pro. But I got to believe that Al Woods at nose going against him. That is a big advantage for country-strong Al Woods. And the rest of these defensive tackles, I think the area you can exploit for the Falcons. They've got some high first-round picks at the tackle positions, but the guards and the centers, it feels like that is a weakness for this Falcons offense. And if you want to thwart that run game and you want to limit Marcus Mariota's ability to get the ball downfield, get some interior pressure. So I think 
There's a lot of pressure on Al Woods and the defensive tackles this game. They, as a group, collectively have not met expectations. Can you do that in this game against an offensive line that I feel like they should have an advantage against? This is a young, untested interior offensive line that doesn't have a lot of size. I feel like the Seahawks should be able to do whatever they want with their defensive line and control this game at the line of scrimmage, which they have not done the first two games. Yeah, they should be able to do that. You're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Al Woods has just been unbelievable. And uh, as you mentioned, Drew Dahlman, good football player. Uh, it actually kind of reminds me a little bit of a former Seahawks great Robbie Tobek in that he is quick. He is very, very assignment sound. Um, as you might expect, uh, his dad was a, a former NFL uh, offensive lineman himself. Um, he played at Drew Dahlman. The, the son played at Stanford. His dad, Chris Dahlman, was an offensive line coach with the Atlanta Falcons back in the day as well. So, you know, again, he comes in as prepared for the NFL as you're going to get, but at the same time, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. As old Mike Tyson quote, and Al Woods plays with the physicality with the punch that would make Iron Mike proud. And, and so I really think that that is a matchup that Seattle not only has to win, they have to dominate they have to be able to hold up at the point of attack right there and shut that stuff down in terms of the interior and then hey this is a little bit of a wake-up call we talked about some of the edge rushers daryl taylor specifically jake matthews at left tackle caleb mcgarry at right tackle for the falcons those are two first round picks mcgarry a fife product coming back uh to seattle i'm really curious to see how he performs um we know the 12s can get loud and create some havoc just with the pass rush and the noise that they are able to generate that's got to be something that the Seahawks are able to kind of control. If they cannot, then I really think that this could be one of those games where it's basically who has the ball at the end, because I do think that both offenses have a little bit of advantage over both defenses. So it's going to be on the 12s, I think, a little bit to give Seattle's defense a little bit more of that shot in the arm, so to speak, to be able to help them out. It's been a big home field advantage for them for the last decade plus. Hopefully it comes through again. The 12s bring it. They bring the juice close to what they did on Monday night against the Broncos. I don't know that we're ever going to see that juice again because that was just different circumstances, but they need to bring it and help out this defensive line so they get some pressure and bounce some pressure up on that offensive line for the Falcons, get some false starts, and really put them in a tough spot on the road as always you can follow me on twitter at corbin smith nfl you can follow rob at rob rang make sure to check out locked on seahawks on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and streaming five days a week on youtube coming up tomorrow it's our weekly crossover thursday episode i'll be teaming up with aaron freeman of locked on falcons and we're going to be diving into some key storylines a bit more on some key matchups going into this game predictions and much more you won't want to miss it enjoy the rest of your wednesday thanks for listening go hawks